Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to episode number 246 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 12th, 2012. We've got a really big show for you coming up on the podcast today. If you have any questions or comments, we want to get to all of them. You can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave a brief voicemail, and we will play it on the air. You can also go to peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, and leave a voicemail right from your computers. Like I said, we have a big show coming up. Special guest this week. We haven't had a special guest on in a while. Uh, Coach Harvey Hyde is on special assignment. So we have Dan Weber uh, coming up in the very first segment. He's going to answer all of your questions about this USC Trojan football team. But later on the show, we have Zach Jerome. He is the creator of a blog called Lost Angeles Blog. You can find it at lostangelesblog.com. WordPress.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, Lost underscore Angeles. Hilarious USC blogger. He's a USC grad, and if you've never read any of his blog posts, it's pretty funny. He's the founder of Arrogant Nation. He sells all kinds of T-shirts. I uh, can get a little blue, I think is the term you want to say. So maybe you don't want your kids to listen in. He definitely uh, used some off-color language every once in a while, but he is hilarious. I hope you uh, check him out a little bit later on the show. But first, we got Dan Weber, who's Keeps his language always professional. Dan, what's going on? How are you doing? Very good. Uh, yeah, and it's a lot easier uh, after a 38-17 win to keep your language uh, nice and proper and elevated and all that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not sure what everybody would have been saying. if it, As Lane said, with the game tied at halftime, had it gone the other way, he said, <laughs> we'd be having a completely different conversation. <laughs> and I guarantee you, that conversation wouldn't be over. So uh, it was a good uh, second uh, 30 minutes uh, Saturday. Yeah, one of the things that impressed me, Dan, was uh, if you looked at the first quarter, I, I, the exact number, I think it was 154 or something. It was like USC gave up on defense uh, over 150 yards of of offense to Arizona State, you know, which would be on pace for about another 600-yard game, similar to what we saw the last couple of games. But for the rest of the game, only 98 yards of offense, under 100 yards in the final three quarters. It seemed like they, they got something right. They seemed to attack the football a little bit more, and it paid dividends. Yeah, I, I mean, because I, I think one of the things that mathematically starts to happen is they ended up with uh, 56 yards in uh, sacks and another 61, I think it was, in tackles for losses. So there's now you're de- deducting 117 yards from Arizona State. So when they end up with 250, uh, one of the ways you get to 250 is you, you take off those 117 yards, and you can only do that if you're playing aggressive football. If you're really uh, – basically, you know, they started – instead of standing and reading and trying to remember, let's see, what's my key here? Oh, I know, I know they told me Thursday I was supposed to watch out for – no, what they started doing was – they basically started attacking and tackling everybody. They actually accounted for the quarterback. What a thought. The running quarterback, 
Maybe you need to account for him every play. They put him under a lot of pressure when he threw the ball. But, you know, a lot of times he had to run out of bounds and just throw it away. Uh, and he was getting pounded. You know, I mean, think about the Oregon game. Did they tackle Marcus Mariota twice? You know, I mean, did he have to worry about, gee, what's going to happen to me uh, if I have the ball and I got to make a, call, a decision to pass and run? Nah. Yeah. You, know, you, you got to take the quarterback out of the game no matter what kind of option you've got. For two weeks in a row, USC hadn't. The third week, and this kid's not a bad quarterback, uh, Kelly Kidd at Arizona State, they took him out of the game. Once you took him out of the game, and basically, you know, if you got one running back, you take him out, uh, you just attacked. And uh, what a difference. I don't know that USC ever is going to be able to play defensively safe. I mean, most teams can't. Most teams can't play soft and prevent and read a bunch of keys. Uh, but um, uh, so maybe maybe there's hope as USC, uh, you know, faces at least a couple of more spreads. And uh, basically, I guess, uh, if, they, if things go right, three more games, let's say, in the, in the season uh, uh, before a bowl game, all three quarterbacks would be threats. You have to be able to take the quarterback out. And – it's probably one of the things that if you're coming from the NFL as a defensive coach, the last thing in the world you have a clue about is how to take the quarterback out of the game uh, for the other team. So whatever happened, they won't tell you exactly. They tell you they made lots of adjustments. It was obvious they were more aggressive in attacking and running after the football and not waiting and reacting. Uh, how exactly they did that, uh, I think they actually changed up uh, enough, and they blitzed enough, and, and so they, it was one of those they weren't giving them the same looks. And the Arizona State kids were really, really confused as to what to do. And uh, there's a game where we saw USC make the right adjustments, and uh, the vis- you know the other team saying, "What just hit us at the end of the game?" Um, I don't want to bring anybody down Dan but there's something that Lane Kiffin said in the press conference when we talked about this we asked him about this about the aggressive style and stuff on defense and I don't know if you caught this but what he said was they played more aggressive but they couldn't do that against Oregon because the quarterback is dynamic and you have to read more so it almost sounded like yes we can do this against an Arizona State team but it, it and maybe this is you know uh Espionage. Hopefully, all I can do is hope that that was cover for what they didn't do in the Oregon game. And that was cover for, you're darn right, that's what we're going to do if the chance comes up again. Wow, we can play that way. You know, yeah, uh, Marietta is, is, you know, a little bigger, certainly faster. Uh, But, you know, I mean, let's face it. I don't think Oregon has any better – I was just thinking about this. Does Oregon have better athletes than USC? No. Does Oregon have a better system than USC? Yes. What needs to change for USC? <laughs> the system. <laughs> so how can they go off? How could it doesn't matter what USC does as long as they don't do what they did the last time they played Oregon? They can't be any worse. Right. I mean, how many, you can't score more than every time you touch the ball except one. I mean, it, it, it basically, this is the counterpunching theory where it screws you up, I think, is, well, we've got to react to them. No, 
you've got to play the best way your players can play. With USC's defensive kids, they can run to the football. Let them run to the football. Do they read and react real well? No, they're terrible. You know, they're young. They're they're athletic, but they're not big, you know, wide-body space guys, you know, that just take up all the space on the line of scrimmage, for example, like maybe Auburn did in that championship game two years ago against uh, against Oregon. They've got to just, you know, go tackle people. Just tackle them. It's that simple. And, you know, I think maybe – and the scary thing is it took a really bad start again at Arizona State to convince them that what they were doing wasn't working. They do not have John Lynch as a safety, a 10-year you know, NFL All-Pro. He's not going to be playing for USC. And so asking you know, to read and react and, and react perfectly and run at the exact right angle. I mean, here's a team that you know, really doesn't have the ability to do some things full speed in practice, uh, especially defensively. Uh, to ask them to get out on the field against an Oregon and then all of a sudden perform perfectly full speed defensively, uh-uh, not happening. Uh, so I think you basically got to go in there. Same way with you know UCLA this week. You just have to take away their threats, and you have to do it aggressively, and you have to beat people at the line of scrimmage and uh, put them under pressure. Freshman quarterbacks, put them under pressure. Make them, make, make them do things they don't really want to do. Don't let them be comfortable. I mean, for example, the kid that, you know, beat USC at Stanford, he's not even starting anymore. That was like his first big start. <laughs> and they let him run free. You can't do that. And uh, it looks like that sunk in a little bit. We'll see this week. I mean, I think they got to do the same thing this week. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they can't let Hundley just roam free and kind of make, Make a decision, you know, when he wants to make a decision. You want to make him to make a decision on your timetable, not UCLA's. Uh, well, let's get to some questions, Dan. There's some okay. good, good points there. The first one, so Luke wrote in after we did the show last week, so before the Arizona State game, defending Monty Kiffin, um, saying that he's stopped running quarterbacks before, talking about Steve Young and Randall Cunningham and um, Donovan McNabb in the NFL. So saying that the fact that Monty doesn't know how to stop running quarterbacks is, is false. And then I wrote him back and, and sort of, we probably weren't going to talk about, it, but then he wrote me back and I wanted to, to read you what he said. He's like, what do you guys think about Monty Kiffin's defense? Now the only real point scored on USC Monty Kiffin's defense came from turnovers from the USC offense, Luke. So he was, he's kind of critical. He loves what you Talk about with the, the Paul D stuff. He said you're the best at that, but he says that you're way off when it comes to Monty Kiffin. Well, I mean, stopping Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham only ran when he I, I covered the Eagles. He, he ran when he, you know, his life was threatened, and he was a great athlete. But that was scramble. He was scramble, Randall Cunningham. Uh, but that wasn't, uh, you know, the set offense. And you know, uh, Steve Young was a good athlete. Again, that was not how the 49ers set up their offense. Nobody in the NFL does that. You can't, nobody's got a backup quarterback that you can even think about, uh, you know, basically uh, building your offense around a quarterback who's a true run-pass option. So it's just a concept that you don't see. I mean, that's the last place you would, you know, in the NFL too, how would you defend that? You'd just say, 
you know, take him out. You know, first tackler, just destroy him. They don't have anybody behind him. That's, you know, one of the reasons you can't run it in the NFL because the guy will not survive week after week after week. Um, where's uh, where's uh, Vic this week? You know? <laughs> I mean, uh, so, no. Um, it's, it's not a personal thing. It's just, it's just a style thing. It's just not designed uh, and never has been to account for an offensive mind, a running offensive-minded quarterback uh, that uh, you know that can run it as well as pass it. It's just something that uh, some defenses aren't uh, aren't designed to to handle. I mean, it's like uh, if you've got your middle linebacker as your last uh, pass defender, 30 yards downfield, trying to run after some guy. That's probably not going to work in college. Maybe you know it did in the NFL for a while, but uh, there are some things that you just can't. You know, you can't transfer, and and it's pretty obvious. People know what those are, and they're taking advantage of them. Uh, and now with the Pac-12, with all these you know good young run-pass quarterbacks, you have to figure out how to take them out of the game. And uh, I don't think USC did the first part of the game yesterday or Saturday, but they did after that. They figured out we ha- you have to take out that quarterback. You have to put him under pressure. And you have to punish them. I mean, you know, you really do. And, uh, you know, you, you didn't see that with, uh, uh, in the Oregon game at all. You didn't see it enough at all in the uh, Arizona game as well. Scott was allowed to just pretty much run free. Uh, you know, there were just too many plays where the quarterback, you know, they have a set play. But all these teams, it looks like, were basically the quarterback looks to see who's USC dropping off. You know, he drops back looks to see which one of the, you know, linebackers or defensive ends is going to drop into coverage and then runs right there. I mean, how could it be any easier? There's nobody there. The guy's running away, uh, the defender. So, uh, no, USC hasn't until, you know, they made some adjustments um, Saturday, hasn't really uh, accounted for the quarterback, and they have to. Okay, uh, let's go to Martin. And he says, do you think Lane and Monty would consider moving Morgan Breslin to a rover-type position on the defensive line? Steve Spurrier at South Carolina uses Jadavion Clowney like that. What do you think? No. No, I think, I think they need to get Morgan so that he uses all, those, uh, you know, all that speed and, and that aggressiveness and in an under-control way enough so that he doesn't – now teams are now trying to just shuttle him to the far outside and, and on a deep rush. And he's still getting there quickly, but he's getting, you know, 18 yards deep and the quarterback's, you know, eight yards deep because uh, they're trying to use his speed against him. And uh, I, I would not think uh, more, uh, you know, when you're talking about a rover, you really need a guy who can play in space, tackle in space, uh, and go both directions. And there are some guys that are sort of edge rushers that are, you know, really good coming one way and coming from one angle, but they're not the kind of maybe you know person that you're going to have go left, go right, stop, break down, do all those kinds of things. Uh, and I don't see that as uh, as Morgan's uh, strength, uh, skill set. Uh, uh, I think you know, uh, using his uh, you know edge rushing ability and his aggressiveness and his toughness and his speed and uh, 
getting that under control so that where he is able to get to is also where the, the ball carrier, where the quarterback especially is, and, and making sure, you know, that they can't run inside or outside. Don't let them, you know, take you one way or the other uh, uh, just because you can go there fast. Uh, so uh, I think the, the thing with Morgan is keep him where he is and just really getting to the place where he can be in the play, where he can really be involved and where he really, you know, causes terrific problems for, you know, some tackle, you know, trying to block him or make him bring a second guy and, uh, you know, use up a, you know, a second offensive, you know, lineman or uh, running back or whoever to, uh, to have to take care of him. All right, Dan, we got, let's go back to the questions. This one is from Elmo. He wanted to know why isn't USC throwing to the running backs more? We don't ever have McNeil and red both in the backfield with Barkley in a shotgun. So one could be a safety option for Barkley. And, and Dan, just to be fair, I, I asked Lane Kiffin about this at the, in his uh, conference call last night, it did not seem we would watch them in practice, try to run screens to the, the running backs. And they were just for lack of a better word, ugly, but the last couple of games they have actually worked uh, really well. So maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah. And I, I think one of the problems is if you personnel package it the way, for example, would have both of them in there, it would be what used to happen when, when USC would have Alan Bradford in the game against Stanford and the entire Stanford defense is pointing at him and saying, swing pass, they're going to throw a swing pass to 21, Go over, everybody over here. You know, it was like uh, if you saw Red and uh, McNeil in the game at the same time, I'm thinking you're going to start uh, suspecting uh, uh, screen pass because – uh, one of the reasons USC doesn't do as much with the running backs as, it, as it, you know you would like to see it is they want to make sure they got somebody else blocking because for a long you know a good part of this year they haven't been sure where the breakdown's going to come on the offensive line and they've had to you know young left tackles so there has been a and, and I think it's hurt, you know, Barkley in terms of uh, progressions and, you know, one of the reasons maybe he doesn't get around to Robert Woods because he's tending to try to throw the ball. And it's maybe hurt the interception situation, too, because he's trying to throw the ball to the first available target or the obvious available target to some extent. And that's not necessarily his fault because he knows how much time he's liable to have on, on different plays. So, uh uh, but when you've got more confidence and when you can run the ball, when you can run the ball and you've got more confidence in your offensive line that they're going to execute, uh, then you can, you know, run plays like two straight weeks, a successful screen pass. And I do think that the 22-yard the touchdown screen pass to Curtis was the best single screen pass I may have ever seen since I've been, at, you know, been covering USC. And that's like, you know, 10-plus 10, 10 years. Uh, that was as good as you can possibly do it. Uh, one of the things that helps there is Arizona State's really got an aggressive uh, pass rush, and so, uh, but USC used that against them. I mean, I, you know, Oregon has one too, uh, and uh, I just think you have to be ready to use those kinds of things. It also helped to have Curtis McNeil, you know, 100% and ready to go, and knowing he was going to get to play, and really getting into the flow of the game. I think there's a case where you. You, you get enough plays. You get 31 carries and, you know, his first ever, you know, pass receiving touchdown and all that. He was really into the flow of the game. And I think that really matters a lot. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it was, a, it was a combination of things like everything uh, that made that, that happen. I know, you know, they try, for example, even at times to get 
uh, you know, Marquise and Robert Woods as uh, PS receivers out of the backfield. But, you know, they'll have a play that, you know, like they start the, um, the second half with that's just not executed exactly, and it's not put together really well. I didn't like the idea of having Barkley have to fake away from where he was going to throw the ball because then he turns and he's throwing blindly, basically, and here's this, you know, Arizona State defensive end right in his face and makes a, you know, and I will agree with Lane, the guy made a phenomenal play. But why make Barkley turn completely away from where the pressure is liable to be coming and has to throw right through the guy if the guy makes a great play? And they were trying to slip uh, Robert out. And, uh, and that was a good idea. I think that was a great idea to get the ball to Robert, slipping him out uh, into space, uh, you know, on a play action opposite the flow of the play. But the whole play together just didn't work. And, uh, and put Barkley in a situation. I know he talked about two of the three interceptions as just being weird. And uh, uh, they were a little bit, but I, I think we, I, we don't want to always put Barkley in a situation where he has to make a, an adjustment at the very last minute. Uh, sometimes he can do that. Sometimes if you've got your, your body turned completely one way and then you're coming back, you almost don't have enough time. Uh, to make that last second adjustment, and on that play, he didn't. Uh, let's go to Renee, Dan. Um, let's see, he said, I believe USC's offense would be more explosive if they went to the tight ends early in the game. I agree with Coach Hyde. He states that the offense should use a jumbo formation when they have it inside the five-yard line. I thought the use of the wildcat in the red zone was just terrible. I think it only works in that situation if the player is able to pass the football. That's from Renee. Well, I, I I like the idea of the Wildcat if they if they get into it quickly enough, and if they've got a guy who's kind of a, a power running. I mean, I thought you know I don't think it ever didn't work with Mark Tyler last year, uh, and now he was only a barely acceptable guy throwing the ball, but he wasn't totally unacceptable. Uh, but he didn't really have to uh, because of the way they got into it and got you know got it quickly. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that the jumbo isn't a, a good idea. I think we would probably like to see USC young tight ends block better at the point of attack. Uh, they haven't that hasn't been a strong suit. It's not they're not you know Red Allison out there, and uh, and uh, at least one of them and occasionally both of them have a tendency to jump and get false starts. And that's the other thing you're probably not crazy about when you get. You know, you get to the five-yard line, you're probably not looking for somebody to jump and get a, you know, get a five-yard penalty. But uh, uh, it's the kind of thing that I think if you do it enough and perfect it and you really feel like, um, you know, that everybody is on the same page and you can really execute it, that's, uh, that's the way, you, you know, you could go that way. I'm not sure it's the kind of thing, though, you can say, this week we're going to do this. It's something completely different. We're going to fool them you often fool yourself. You know, you, you really do have to, I think, uh, uh, have a kind of a consistency and a consistent approach, especially when you're down on, you know, in the red zone. And yes, he's been a little bit uh, grab baggy in the red zone, trying to outsmart them, trying to come up with stuff they, uh, they hope works, or just saying, throw it up for Marquise and let's hope he grabs it. Uh, that's probably not the best way. Uh, okay. And the, uh, Renee mentioned 
uh, Coach Harvey Hyde in that. There was something he had talked about, the jumbo package. But I wanted to ask you about this. Lane Kiffin mentioned <laughs> Coach Harvey Hyde during the conference call yesterday. They actually ran um, the toss a little bit more. Uh, and that was something that Coach Harvey Hyde was critical on the Peristyle podcast and I think also on his uh, the show that they do on Sunday, um, the Trojan Brunch. I think he talked about that, that when you ran that reverse on fourth and two to Marquise Lee, you really have to set that up with the toss. I thought it was funny that Lane Kiffin actually mentioned that, by, mentioned Coach by name. What, what did you think about that? Well, I think uh, a couple of things. A, uh, it does tell you Lane pays attention. Lane's listening. Lane's thinking. Lane's trying to figure things out. Second thing is probably that thought had occurred to him, and then here he's driving into work on Sunday morning, and Harvey's talking about it on the brunch, and I think it probably – you know, you're looking at Arizona State and you say, man, they really come. They come down hard. Uh, what would be a good thing to do? Well, you know, maybe release those, uh, you know, release those tackles. And let's face it, now, I mean, you know, if you have Andre Walker play the best game of his career and he's alternating, he gets one out of every three series, and Max Turk just keeps playing really well. And he, uh, he's got a lot of athleticism in him. Why not do, hey, you know, if it were me, I might say, I was watching the Oregon game against USC, and they pull their tackles. Sometimes they pull their tackles and guards. Sometimes they pull, you know, one tackle and two guards. They're pulling everybody, and they're getting outside, and they're running up, you know, with these big guys running over, you know, running over cornerbacks. Maybe that would be a good thing for us to do. So I think it all worked. You know, the timing was really well. They have probably enough confidence now in the uh, the USC uh young guys, and it matches what they do well. Uh, it really matches, uh, you know, their skill set. That Andre Walker, I will say this, he's never looked more athletic. I mean, I know people worry he's only 300 pounds. But, man, he, is a, he, and he was running around after practice the other day, and some of the tackles were kind of racing. And he is an, he's an athlete. Uh, he doesn't always look like it sometimes with his footwork uh, on, like, you know, little say if he's got some really you know good out you know pass uh, edge pass rusher but boy can he uh if you get him pulling out he pulled out on that one you know the one touchdown um he can he can he's a force and um so i just think it suits usc's uh personnel uh to do more of that so it was kind of nice though that lane recognized that harvey had said it and they did it and, uh, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, US, UCLA's got some people who can really come down on the edge. Um, and uh, it's the kind of thing that if you remember the 13-9 game, USC didn't have any of that in their repertoire that day. And, uh, you know, they thought they had enough offense in that they could, um, they could handle that, you know, UCLA defensive ends coming crashing down, and, and they didn't. Uh, so I think it's, that was one of the best things we saw. Saturday was the ability to, you know, get those, uh, especially tackles out in space. But I think we saw a lot of movement on the uh, uh, screen pass touchdown. Abe Markowitz got out, and, you know, he's been a center, so you don't always get to see him, you know, running and all that. I thought he just did a terrific job getting out in front of Curtis and clearing away and throwing a block and uh, stuff. I, I don't know that I've ever seen him get to do that before. So, uh I thought that there were a lot of good things that happened, uh, you know, from that standpoint. 
Okay, uh, a couple more, Dan, before we let you go. This is Earl in uh, West L.A. said, what do you think of Marquise Lee's Heisman chances after his drop-dropping performance against Arizona State? If Lee is not a game-changer, I don't know who is. His 80-yard touchdown run and 38-yard run to set up a touchdown on a busted reverse play were draw-dropping. ASU preferred to give the Trojans the ball near midfield with squib kicks rather than having Lee return those kickoffs. What do you think about Lee's Heisman chances? Well, I think uh, if you look at our our Heisman pundit guy, Chris Houston, who uh, I guess dropped uh, uh, Marquise out of the running, uh, I guess was it uh, two weeks ago? And this week he's got him at number two. <laughs> so, uh, Chris isn't the only one that's made an adjustment on, uh, on Marquise. I think uh, – uh, Kansas State quarterback Colin Klein, if he doesn't get hurt and if he keeps playing the way he has been, and uh, if they, you know, win their last couple of games, he's going to be awfully hard to overcome. Uh, but I, I mean, I think Marquise is in is in an absolutely great position. I mean, I I don't, you know, I think you know the consensus is who is playing better than he is, who is having more of an impact. I mean, one of the all things I always I actually voted once in the Heisman and decided football is such a team sport it just goes against kind of the concept of, of football with when you have to have so many guys do so many things right to just pick out one guy and I know all the you know the wonderful stuff about it and how much how good it's been for USC and Notre Dame and Ohio State and Alabama recently and all that and it, it, it reflects the program but uh when you've got a guy like Marquise Lee who can contribute in so many different ways, I think that, you know, that fits the award. I mean, that's, uh, that's almost the definition of the award, uh, what a, a Marquise Lee is doing this year and stepping up, you know, in a team that's got a lot of pressure and uh, has had, you know, some real setbacks. And here's a kid that just keeps getting, you know, better and better and uh, just keeps competing more and more. So, and he's, his skill level is, and his competitive level are just uh, unsurpassed. I mean, he's just, uh, uh, you know, when you look at that 80-yard touchdown the other day, you realize they truly did have him bracketed with double coverage, and he just he ran through double coverage. I mean, just boom, boom, and next thing you know, both guys are, like, trailing him, and he's not even 100%. Uh, it's just uh, kind of an amazing thing. So, yeah, I think he, he's put himself right in the mix, and he's got the kind of finish. There will be a lot of attention for the UCLA game this week. There will be, if Notre Dame doesn't stub their toe against Wake Forest this weekend, people will, you won't believe what's going to happen next week. There will be Notre Dame fans parachuting over the stadium trying to get into the game. I mean, they will be coming from places. I mean, this will be like the biggest game in Notre Dame since the last time they played USC in, what, 1988. This might be the biggest game Notre Dame's played in. Uh, and, you know, one of their biggest games in, you know, 40 years. Uh, one of their two or three biggest games. So, uh, you, I mean, it's what, for example, Carson Palmer essentially won his Heisman with his season-ending performance against Notre Dame in the Coliseum. So those kinds of moments can happen. So uh, the only negative for Colin Klein is they finish up early, don't have a championship game. So uh, Marquise, for example, plays a higher-profile schedule to finish, and – USC will be playing a couple of weeks uh, possibly after uh, uh, Kansas State is finished. So that could be a factor. 
It certainly could. We'll be watching to see what happens. High-profile games late in the season are a great way to boost your Heisman campaign. So we'll see what happens there. One last one for you, Dan. Dimitri uh, from Kiev in the Ukraine. Um, he wants. He, he's talking about like kind of the SEC here and maybe get your thoughts. He says, seems like the Aggies uh, from Texas A&M will finish their SEC schedule 6-2. and two. two losses are to Florida and LSU by one score. Doesn't that show that there is more parity between conferences than analysts like to admit. I can see SC with three losses doing no worse in the SEC. Well, I would. here's the question I've got is, um, if you look at what uh, Texas A&M has done, uh, they had a 59-57 win over Louisiana Tech, I'm guessing. And I would think that was the score. Uh, so does that make Louisiana Tech better than Alabama? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think... The SEC, we had a, a poster this week on the Periscope. He had the greatest analysis. He looked at SEC has seven ranked teams. The uh, Pac-12 has six. Of the seven ranked SEC teams, they've played a total of two outside of the conference ranked opponents, two. They played Michigan and Louisiana Tech, uh, and that's it. So you could have teams uh, in the SEC like, oh, Mississippi State just gets blown out and blown out and blown out, and they're still ranked. You know? and, and, and people say, well, uh, our team in the SEC beat four ranked teams. Well, the, yeah, four, they're all in the SEC. Who knows? They don't leave home. They don't, cross, you know, they don't leave the time zone. They don't, you know, they don't travel, uh, and they sure don't play ranked teams uh, outside the conference. Uh, so – it is hard to get a fix on them. I know that the computer guys, when they admit it, uh, truthfully, will say they did not think that this is how the BCS was going to go, and they thought they'd have enough games between teams from all the different conferences that they would get a pretty good fix on them. And this is a year you have no idea how good those teams are. You know, uh, So I think there's way more parity, and maybe not even – this might be a year where the SEC doesn't have all that much parity. I mean – Obviously, no one told Texas A&M when they joined the SEC, they didn't tell them, you're not supposed to have freshman quarterbacks who can throw the football. That's just, we don't do that here. And so nobody told Texas A&M, so they show up at Alabama the other night, the Alabama that can beat an NFL team, we're being told, and they throw the ball down the field. Why, it's just not fair. There's big, strong Alabama, you know, front-line defenders. They couldn't play pass defense. No, I guess they couldn't. So, uh, uh, you know, it was. I think it was great that uh, we got a chance to see because that was almost an out-of-conference game for Alabama to play, uh, you know, a Texas A&M first year. They had to play them in, you know, they had to go to Tuscaloosa. And uh, Alabama, you know, I mean, for all the people that were telling you how great Alabama was, have we seen them play against a team that could throw the ball? No. How do we know what, what they would do? We don't. And so all these people that were so sure how good Alabama was, they had no clue. How could you have a clue? The way, the you know, oh, they beat LSU. Oh, yeah. Yeah, LSU can really throw the ball. That's a, <laughs> that's a really high-powered, you know, modern offense. I mean, to be honest, after going through, you know, there was a lot of hype about the new coaches and that in the Pac-12. Pac-12 is tough. What, uh, you know, and then what uh, what Chip Kelly's doing in Oregon. Holy crime. I mean, 
they're doing things that either they're going to have to change the rules or you're going to really have to change the way you play. Uh, that's not happening, for example, in the SEC. Hey, this might be a good year. The SEC may be smart enough to say, you know what, we've been watching Oregon this year. We'll just pass on, <laughs> on matching up in that game. We'll, let them, we'll kind of let them have it this year. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, USC can't match up if they play them uh, at the end of the year. Let's face it, USC blew at least two, you know, touchdown opportunities in that game. And if they'd have had two, if they'd have made them punt, you know, three times instead of one, um, how different is that game? Maybe, you know, USC's the team that scored 62. I mean, they can't play any worse. You know, let's say they hold them to 48. Who knows? I mean, so... To be honest, as, as down as people can be on USC, they might have the best chance in the country of beating you know Oregon or anybody. I'll be, I know people say, well, you give somebody four weeks to get ready for Oregon, and maybe you can get ready. I'm not sure this year uh, you've kind of got as much of an opportunity to do that. Now, obviously, Oregon is, you know, they worked um, Marcus Mariota and uh, Kenyon Barner really hard, and that doesn't mean you know they'll be completely healthy for any game or completely healthy through any game. So, you know, that's always the downside of, of you know, that kind of an offense. You, you've got two guys who are really, you know, carrying everything, and if you don't have them, um, you know, you, you just, you know, if you can take out, you know, you don't give up, uh, you know, big returns to DeAnthony Thomas, and, uh, you know, you kind of uh, don't break down on pass coverage, you, you know, you might have a shot. But uh, you would love almost to see – uh, that matchup this year, but uh, but I'm thinking the SEC. I just don't think they're that good this year. I really, I don't, I don't think that's the matchup you're going to see. All right. Well, Dan, we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, batting lead off for us with uh, with Coach on special assignment. But thanks a lot. We'll see you out of practice tomorrow. Should be an interesting week, rivalry week, getting ready for USC UCLA. Hey, I, and I. I we we better not start this rumor, but I guess there's always a chance Lane's uh, hiring hiring Harvey as a consultant, baby. You know, just uh-huh. sort of, uh, yeah, going over it now. I guess that's probably not it's probably not allowed, but uh, <laughs> I guess just unofficial uh, uh, consulting work uh, uh, where he uh, I, and I do think that's that's what a lot of us do, and I think it's what a lot of the P, P people do. They all like to be consultants um, uh, to the uh, USC football program, and they probably are in, in some ways. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. Appreciate you coming on the show. Everyone, we have the very special treat I talked about earlier. Zach Jerome is coming up right after this 30-second break. He is the owner, blogger, bear fighter, arrogant nation leader of uh, Los Angeles blog. It's going to be a lot of fun. Stay tuned for that in 30 seconds. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. 
We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, and as promised, very special guest. We have Zach Jerome. He is the owner and blogger that everyone knows as Mr. Los Angeles, the bear fighter. You can see him at Lost Angeles blog at word.wordpress.com. Zach, what's going on, sir? How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm great. I was just excited to get you on the show. Everyone, uh, if people don't know, I guess maybe you can give people a little bit of background of of how you kind of got started and where you are on Twitter and stuff like that. But everyone, you know, he's a member of the Peristyle. People love when he posts all his blogs, pregame and postgame, the arrogant nation. There's there's a lot going on with you, Zach. It's, it's, it's good to have you on. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. My pleasure. Um, yeah, I think uh, for anyone who, who doesn't know, uh, I got the, the blog was definitely never started uh, or intended to be a, uh, you know, like a USC football blog, but I think it was hard for me not to write about it, just uh, given what everything was. And, and mainly the, the what really had happened was when uh, when the ruling came down, like on sanctions, one of the weirdest things I work in uh, digital and social media strategy, like on the advertising side. And so one of the things they teach you a lot about is to like social listen. So you should be always aware sort of, of, of what everyone's talking about. I'm sure last, last uh, week, everyone was aware of everyone that they knew's political opinion. Um, if they were on Facebook exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, or on Twitter. <laughs> right. So uh, I was noticing kind of the same thing where, you know, a lot of students I'd never seen anything like this were just like down on the football team. Um, you know, oh, the games don't count, you know, there's a lot of this attitude that I just really was unfamiliar with, um, being like my first game was Pete Carroll's first game as an undergrad. And, um, you know, I mean, we were leaving the games by halftime. We were up by so much and, you know, it was sort of that sort of, uh, swagger. So I wrote a post, uh, I don't know, uh, how much I'm allowed to swear on the, uh, yeah, you podcast. Can. I don't think there's any FCC I can. regulations. I'm good. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, shit. Um, no, uh, so I wrote a post called, uh, the most arrogant shit ever, uh, which I have like, uh, if anyone wants to read, it's still like on the header of my blog. Uh, it's up at the top. So if anyone wants to read that, I, I keep that posted. It was where I basically said, like, it doesn't really matter, you know, until there's a real playoff system, it, it doesn't really matter you know, if, if you win the BCS national championship or, or what you do, if, as long as they're letting us play, we can beat the other team. And just because, you know, it's, it kind of went to that concept of vacated wins. Like, you know, I don't think anybody, I was at the game where we beat Oklahoma at the, at the national championship. I'm pretty sure none of my, my Sooner friends feel like they magically won that game that day. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm sure, I'm sure they'd, they'd love to get their uh, travel funds back. So basically what that turned into was – I just got thousands and thousands and thousands of hits on that, um, on that post. And it was weird because I was walking around my office, which is like an office with like 800 people and people were like sharing the blog around the office that didn't know I worked there. And then I had people actually send my own blog back to me. And at that point, <laughs> I, you know, like at that point, they're like, check this out. This guy sounds like you, you know, I was like, yeah, that's great. Cause it is me. Um, and so it was exciting. And so I kind of thought, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start doing like previews of the games. And so I tried to like focus on what was fun about the games and like, what were the traditions that, um, you know, we had at USC that were ultimately so much bigger than whether or not you won or lost because everyone in the Peristyle knows, you know, I've said it a million times, like we're going to win more than we're going to lose. doesn't matter what decade we're talking about. Even if, you know, we're talking about the Haggett years, it's fine. We're still going to win more than we're going to lose. So most of the time, this is not like you're a Kansas City Royals fan and you don't know when it's going to happen again. You know, we're going to win again. <laughs> so if you lose, you got to walk out. <laughs> you got to just enjoy that you watched some football, that you were drunk on Truesdale, 
and then just get ready for next week. And that's been, you know, one of the weirdest things is I've seen the biggest traffic um, usually is, is obviously after a signature win, but the next biggest traffic is, is actually after a signature loss. I think probably two of my top four posts I've ever done uh, just in terms of doing an arrogant game preview or recap were after the Stanford loss uh, this year and then after the um, – what was I going to say? I think it was after the, uh, the Stanford loss the year before. So, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing how that works, but people actually turn to the blog a lot to know how to feel because I think we've gotten to a place where we feel like we need to be completely invincible and never lose. And it's just not true because in the end of the day, one of the things that's so true about our fan base is that there's no chance they'd rather, you know, pull for a different team. It's not like, Oh, you know what? I, I should have gone to Oregon. <laughs> you know, I mean, no one, no one, no one, uh, no one feels that way. So I kind of have always pushed people to focus on the fact that, you know, we've got the Bruins this week. That's a big deal. Believe me, they're only thinking about, oh, my God, maybe we might beat these guys once. You know, <laughs> like that's all they're thinking about. There's nothing wrong with us thinking that way. And it kind of goes to the old adage of one week at a time. But um, I think it's kind of a celebration of one week at a time is sort of my philosophy. So we're joined by Zach Jerome. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Lost, L-O-S-T underscore Angelus. And it's a, he's a great follow. Of course, you can see him. He's posted under that name on the Peristyle as well. You can check him out there and his blog. LosAngelesBlog.wordpress.com. So the the theme about your blog is the arrogance and the arrogant nation, and and you're the bear fighter, a two time cancer survivor. Where did like the the arrogant part come from? And and Lane Kiffin seems to be the perfect coach to go along with the the, the arrogance theme. Yeah, I mean, this is an, it's kind of a weird anecdote, um, but I always think that like it's kind of the best thing to take. Um, it's something that they've, that, you know, a couple agencies have worked at. It's kind of a good place to start for a campaign in a lot of ways, which is take the thing that everyone thinks is the worst thing about you and then just celebrate it. Um, <laughs> you know, because, because I think everywhere deep down, right? Like I think when we complain again with the language that UCLA is just a huge bunch of pussies, right? Like I'm just saying like, you know, like when we look at their football team and I'm not saying that they won't play well this week, I'm just saying, historically that attitude that like, let's do an aid clap, an old dude waving a towel, right? Like, <laughs> I think our hatred of that, right, comes from us wanting them to act a little tougher, right? Like, because you sit there, you watch a, a Michigan-Ohio State game, and you're like, oh my God, like you get so fired up, you feel like it's like the end of Lord of the Rings, you know? <laughs> These guys both like just hate each other. They come out in opposing colors and they do all that. And then this week, you know, Bruin Nation has a post up like, ah, we're really mad that they're stabbing the field at halftime. We stab every field at halftime. Be a football fan. You know what I mean? Like Florida State does the same thing. It's just like they're just such like they're just such whiners. And so I think deeply what we hate about that is that we want them uh, to be tougher. So I think that in a weird way, and that's even when they win, they don't know how to win. Like you get the, Oh, well, guess what? It's that sort of attitude, which growing up at a high school that was blue and gold and in Southern California, Ouch. and most of the people in my town went to UCLA, I, you know, it, it was, it was, in, it, I was always around it. So for the arrogance for me, it was that that's what everyone hated about us. You know, they put the dollar sign in our name and university of spoiled children. I'm like, all right, <laughs> it's just sort of my thesis. It's like, great. You know, you're right. I do love it here. And, you know, you guys are nerds. And uh, it's like, why not? You know, and it, there's, there's a little bit of, um, 
you know, upsmanship or one-upsmanship when it, when it comes down to it. I think in the workforce, certainly in Los Angeles, I've experienced that we all get along really well. Um, but I, Arrogant Nation to me was, I remember my first, I was visiting campus like with my dad before, when I was an undergrad or before I was an undergrad, I was looking at the school um, or basically hoping they let me in. They, I heard these two kids just like leaving uh, the game. And like they they didn't know like what you know how much we were winning by you know they didn't care they were just talking about the like who was hanging out later that night and I just thought it was like the funniest thing in the world that they had just taken the win for granted completely but they loved that they won they were decked out in USC year and uh, there was always just this mentality of it didn't matter at all who you were um, as long as you were with us. And it was sort of that, I know the band has the F-E-B-U, the, you know, fuck everyone but us thing right. going on and yeah. <laughs> uh, F-T-F-O, which obviously I've put on a shirt in their honor, uh, you know, the fight the fuck on. It's just sort of our attitude. And I think that that's kind of the thing to play up. And to your point about Kiffin, you know, I didn't plan that, but you figured it had to be a very arrogant dude who was going to take this job at the time that he did, you know? Um, yeah. And because, you know, the Jeff Fishers and Jack Del Rio's at the time, I feel like they probably were, were taking a step back because of, you know, the scholarship limitations and, you know, not knowing how, how deep the wormhole would go um, or the rabbit hole. And so I think uh, Kiffin came in and he's like, yeah, whatever. Got a hot wife. I don't give a shit. Let's do this. Right. Let's, <laughs> let's go out. You know, let's have the number one recruiting class. Yeah, I got to take 10 less guys. It's fine. They'll be better than everyone else is 25. And, and I like that. And I know people are down on him right now because the bubble screens and because and, uh, his dad is, is, is running a Tampa 2 in a time where I think people want to see something upgraded. But I want, like, everyone to remember, like, I don't know how many people could have brought our team to such high expectations with, with, with our, our hands so just unjustly cuffed behind our back. So, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of suspending my, uh, my doubts still. And, and uh, you know, I, we win this week and, you know, go out and beat Notre Dame and, you know, maybe a three-loss season. But I think, uh, you know, you're playing in the Pac-12 championship. You got a lot on the line. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to phone it in. And I think that was the point of the blog in the first place, which is to say, there's all you can always improve your season. You know, it doesn't matter what you were. And one of the most fun seasons I ever had was six and six, my freshman year with Pete Carroll. I mean, it was one of the most fun we ever had. And uh, you know, we were rewarded for our patience, you know? So I think it's kinda of one of those things, like I said, we're gonna win again. <laughs> I think we're gonna start next Saturday uh, and continue off of last week. Well, great stuff on Kiffin there. And I know you gotta go back to work, your regular job, but before we leave you just uh I guess the most arrogant time of the year would have to be playing the rivalry games. You mentioned UCLA and Notre uh, Dame. Anything special coming up and any thoughts on uh, the two rivalry games coming up? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, UCLA is actually up for it this year. Um, they're a much more competent team. Uh, it's, it's, it is a monster, and there's a lot at stake. It's, we, you know, we haven't really seen a game with them that had so much on the line um, since um, I think that that loss that we took that cost us a shot at the uh, you know the fake national championship back with Booty playing quarterback uh, at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I was thir- at that game. Thirteen to nine. Um, yeah, yeah I, I drank a lot that day, um, <laughs> but that was cool. It was fine. You know what? It, we won. We won again, again. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was. Uh, this this week is there's just a lot, and they, I mean, their basketball fans are actually watching football right now. 
And I always say, you know, I think this is a chance for, for, for Barkley to complete what I think is the coolest legacy in the world, which is that, I mean, he could go undefeated against teams with Bears as mascots. He's seven and oh right now. And, um, I mean, coming I know, a lot from know, the bear fighter, Bears. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's up? Oh, coming a lot from the bear fighter. That, that means a lot, I think, to him. Yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, you know, Barkley's a good dude, and I've, I've gotten to know him a little bit, like, with the pep rallies and stuff that I've, I've done at school, and, and he's a good dude, and I know that he won't say it, but I think that that's one of the ones that, yeah, I think that's that's his, his private Heisman Trophy. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think there's anything better, probably, as a, a USC quarterback to, to run the table against UCLA, and if you want to run the table against Cal, too, why not? Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, that said, I think this is just a massive week uh, for us because it's been, I mean, it's really been a long time. And, and the difference between this game and that, uh, that, that game that cost us a shot at the title was, I mean, UCLA was just playing spoiler and, um, you know, it, it was just kind of they were being an annoyance and they kind of rained on our parade. This one, I mean, they, they have a lot that they want to do. And I think they'd love to go get a shot to go back at the uh, Pac-12 championship and, you know, avenge whatever happened last year where they kind of backed in with us not being able to go and, and just got thoroughly embarrassed um, by Oregon. So I think they have a lot at stake too. And then we get like a, a massive gift the following week too, which is that Notre Dame, um, you know, if they don't slip up, what a chance. I mean, you know, beyond what it'll do for us in, in terms of hopefully sneaking back into a, you know, BCS spot uh, to get to play them when they're, so high up on their horse. I mean, I love the idea that we would have a chance to knock two of the top three teams in the country out. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the thing that I tweeted the other day, um, was, was that I think it's just crazy to think that for the first time I can think of the sec is completely rooting for us right now. Um, exactly. which is the weirdest <laughs> concept in the world because we've always sort of been the one team that was going to maybe keep out the second team of theirs or the one team I think that privately they're a little afraid of because they like to talk down those Arkansas and Auburn teams. And it's easy for them to forget, you know, Leinart's first game at 24, nothing where they were preseason number one. It's easy for them to forget, you know, that one of those Arkansas teams, I think it was the second year with McFadden. I mean, they, they won, uh, I think, what was it? SEC West that year. I think they did. Um, It's not like we were playing scrubs and, you know, LSU was ducking us. So I think it's just kind of ironic that, you know, if they want to get back into the national championship picture, they're hoping we get to the you know Pac-12 championship, bump Oregon, and um, you know, and then we uh, take Notre Dame out and free up a spot so that we can watch someone run the ball 200 times, which I know we all really enjoyed last year. That was super awesome. So, uh, you know, it's kind of fun, but I like that. It's uh, there are a lot of fun SEC bloggers who aren't as myopic as their readers, and uh, we have a lot of fun talking football. So it'll be fun that they'll be uh, they'll be with us. So. You know, all eyes on UCLA. Let's get this job done. Stab the bear in the heart. And uh, I will be uh, posting on Thursday. I'm going to have a very apologetic post today, which was, you know, I'm sorry. I've been moving into an apartment. And uh, I was, like, watching. I was telling you before we got on the phone that I, uh, in the middle of moving, I basically could only watch, uh, you know, five minutes of time of the game. And I think the last time I did that was when I got married. We were <laughs> in the middle of uh, the Oregon game, like, three or two years ago. And, uh <laughs> I was running down and watching uh, five minutes of the, uh, I think the third quarter, and someone ran and grabbed me and said it was like the garter belt throw or whatever. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, I better run back up there. So it was terrible. I spilled scotch everywhere. So, um, but that said, 
big week. We're excited. Gonna beat the Bruins. Uh and uh you can you can definitely catch today's post, but uh Thursday I'll have the arrogant game preview and I'm promising it's gonna be my most arrogant in a while. I promise yes. I'm gonna be a huge, huge asshole and they're gonna feel me all over the country. <laughs> all right. Well thanks very much. Zach Jerome, everybody, for coming on show. Thank you very much. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, lost underscore Angelus, and you can go to his blog, lostangelusblog.wordpress. We definitely had more swearing on this episode than any of our 240-whatever prior episodes all at once. So thanks very much for that, Zach. We're setting records. That's right. We're setting fucking records. Oh, one more. (laughs) Thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. Okay, take care. Thanks. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 